tailgate live from studio here in Cincinnati. Austin Gale with Mike Renner ready to rip it up. The NFL Week 5 review. Before we do so, though, I have a freaking pink computer. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. You had Over it in the, the press weekend, box on Saturday. Yeah, too. I had it in the press box at LSU Kentucky, which was fantastic, by the way. They did give us meal vouchers, though. Not only did we get meal vouchers at Kentucky, they gave us stickers instead of lanyards. We were like the black sheep in that damn press box, man. It didn't help that I dressed like a homeless person. But still, it was a good time in Kentucky um, with the pink laptop, though. So on Friday, it was a doubleheader tailgate. I, it got hit me differently. Uh, Friday, obviously hung out. Got a little tailgate action going at UC. Hometown uh, tailgate. UC Temple. Then going straight from the press box to the bars here in Cincy. I brought my backpack and that was all she wrote really. It was, I uh, left my backpack at one of the bars we were at. Went to go back in the morning and it was gone. So you can't win them all here. Lost my backpack, lost my computer. I'm onto my backup and it is pink. This is the life I live. That looked brutal. You were trying. You said it doesn't even like play video and whatnot. It can't which... play video. Um, it barely runs anything outside of like Google Chrome. Like if if you try to open Safari and Chrome at the same time, you're pretty screwed. I've had this one since like 2015. Yeah, it's you were a... down bad Saturday, but I will say that Kentucky LSU game, Kentucky manhandled them. We'll get the tailgate score a little bit later, but that was a great atmosphere for a football game. There. I would agree. I think the you know, pregame, those guys are getting after it too. So yeah. multiple people just like going into the game completely blitzed, like really living it up. And that was a three-point spread, and Kentucky went in there and was dominating. Yes. It was a it was a good game. So it was the UC game, another blowout as well. Had the uh, entire city of Cincinnati uh, singing the chance here. You were. Going from Notre Dame to a Cincinnati fan now. You're a Fairweather I, fan. I put on the jersey or the, the shirt for every school we go to. I try to represent. I, I try to cheer for them to win. So if Notre Dame can't go to the playoff, I hope UC does. Fair enough. And they're right now number three overall in the country. My Lord, that's uh, – they, they they just have to win out. They Dude, win out how about out. that Bama game? I mean, we'll get to this we'll get on to the Wednesday. The so yeah. We'll get it on the Wednesday. So it also coming this week in an interview, Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum, and also talking to the man, the myth, the legend, the highest-graded offensive player in college football, Isaiah Likely, also this week. That'll be on the Wednesday and Thursday episodes. Excited to do that. Also, new to the tailgate, promo code tailgate gets you 25% off any PFF subscription. Hey. Just launched promo codes by podcast. Tailgate gets one. All the others do as well. But I heard you ours is show more love. than all the other podcasts too, right? Everyone else is 20%. Ours yeah. is 25 Ours is 25 Everyone else is actually only 3%. Mm. So you don't want to use those. Definitely use tailgate. No, just kidding. But show some support for the podcast. Use promo code tailgate if you choose to subscribe to PFF and you're not subscribed yet. Let's start with Thursday Night Football. Rams at Seahawks. Seahawks were two and a half point dogs at home. And I thought in this game, my main takeaway, my first note was like, Russell Wilson played well like this was a good game for Russell Wilson yeah. he just got hurt yeah and when he got hurt and I know Geno Smith had that 98 yard touchdown drive it did derail a lot of the momentum Los Angeles ends up winning this one 26 17 and I thought there were a lot of positives on the Seahawks side of the ball specifically offensively DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson both playing well but the injury I think was catastrophic enough against a very good Rams football team that was also firing on all cinders cylinders to lose that game yeah, I mean, Ross is playing some of his best football we saw all year. You have five big-time throws in the first half. And then, man, it seemed like such an innocuous injury. I mean, you could obviously see his finger hanging, but it's like, yeah, it's a, a fingertip. You know, how, obviously, it should affect you throwing a football, but you would have thought, oh, he could probably just, like, tape it up, whatever, do something, put a splint, come back in. Six to eight weeks, man. That's Holy brutal. shit. I mean, throwing like that, hand, though, I feel like matters. Like, that that does, definitely yeah. matters. You're not wrong. Not Definitely not wrong that it's a throwing <laughs> hand injury. Anything, the slightest thing, obviously matters a for a quarterback. Cut. But I would take Russell Wilson with two fingers taped together all day, every day, over Geno Smith. Just, wow. Just, I mean, 
that's how I feel about the competency of those two quarterbacks. And so it's kind of the Seahawks are now in that disastrous situation where you are behind the eight ball in the NFC West at, I believe, two and three, correct? Uh, at two and three in one of the best divisions of football without your first round pick next year, without your starting quarterback for the next six to eight weeks. It's a bad situation. That's yeah. about as down bad as anyone, you know, outside of the Texans and the Dolphins right now in the NFL. <laughs> It's not a good situation. I will say for the Rams, Robert Woods played well in this one. I know the fantasy football community was waiting for him to get some more targets. He obviously got more involved. Cooper Cup continues to grade really, really well. And um, defensively, Aaron Donald, a little monster against the Seahawks' offensive line. I think the Rams, you know, I know they um, lost the Arizona Cardinals and some people doubting them in the NFC. They are legit, very much so. I think they can go toe-to-toe with anyone. I thought they looked, again, really impressive against the Seahawks' D. Yeah, it was... Aaron Donald show once again. I mean, he is in his own tier still. 28 pressures, nine more than any other defensive tackle in the NFL so far this season. That's just who he is. I know uh, Chris Collinsworth, the boss upstairs, is not not as stoked to be going into the Pittsburgh-Seattle game on Sunday Night Football with Geno <laughs> oh, Smith man. under center instead of Russell Wilson. Too late to flex out of that game. We'll see if Geno Smith can rise to the occasion. I will say this too, batter finger and all, Russell Wilson does enter week six with the highest PFF grade on 10 plus yard throw, 10 plus air yard throws. So throwing downfield, the highest graded quarterback of anyone in the NFL. It sucks that he will no longer be playing for at least the next six to eight weeks. On to Atlanta, New York. This was the early game on Sunday, played at 9.30 a.m. ET. That's the 6.30 kick on the West Coast. Probably didn't catch that one. And it was kind of a slugfest. It was not a fun game to watch. I'll say that. I think both offenses were... I mean, underwhelming. It was the Kyle Pitts show on the Falcon side, and it was just no show. No yeah. one showed up to London um, on, the, on the other side. I think the Falcons forgot their kicking that. I think the Jets forgot their offense because it was just horrendous to see, especially the first half. Like the first half, do you know in the first quarter all season long, the Jets have 64 yards? Jesus. In the first quarter. Hot start. That like, is like so LaFleur. bad. Not, I mean, everyone was saying Matt LaFleur, he was like known for his like first 15 game script. They come out hot every game. Michael Fleur needs to get some pointers from his brother because that, like that's flat. And this was to me the least encouraging forms I've seen from Zach Wilson all year. Dude, it was horrendous. I, the New England game obviously looked more like in the tank at the beginning of the game where he just was didn't know how to play quarterback. But this one was actual, just inaccurate, not finding anybody open whatsoever, just not even making plays outside the pocket. His second game this season without a big time throw, there was just not an encouraging takeaway to have if you're looking for signs of growth from Zach Wilson. The inaccuracy was horrendous. I mean, over the middle of the field, I think you saw the commenters, commentators talking about, like, he's just missing late and behind over the middle of the field. And then yeah. there were some throws near the line of scrimmage, like simple swing pass stuff that he's he just missing. Like, that was the not... the swing pass in the ground, dude. Skipped it to him. That was ridiculous. That's just not enough. Yeah. Uh, the only highlight I have for New York, and I tweeted this out, Elijah Vera Tucker, the rookie, I, I saw he graded really well in week four, watched some of his tape, and he's been a road grader yep. in the run game. And then this past week, I think he had a 90-plus PFF grade. He's a top grade, top five graded guard over the last two weeks. He has been impressive. A small, tiny silver lining for the Jets right now. Outside of that, it's been not great. Very bad, actually. Uh, as for the Falcons, Kyle Pitts, I, I put in my notes here, just as good as we thought he was. I mean, when you do target him at the rate that they did in this game, obviously had a lot of success. I will say putting a defensive lineman on him in the end zone was never going to pan out well for the Jets, and that what ended up being his first career touchdown. But the one-handed snag I also thought was nice. Thought of your brother in that moment, because you know how your brother grades all – it was not – it was not upper cl- echelon. It was not the clean one. It was not a clean one-hander. It was definitely bobbled in the right hand, but still. Kyle Pitts, 
very much looked the part uh, against uh, New York. Yeah, and he could have more yards. I mean, he goes for over 100, and he got underthrown disastrously by Matt Ryan on that one post route that could have should have gone for about, like, what, 60-plus. So Yeah, that, another one, I think, call back, a big one call back for holding or something, too. That was the Kyle Pitts. Like, that was what we said, use him as the guy, as your ex. Use him as not a tight end, but as just another wide receiver who can then, you know, motion in line or do things that you wouldn't necessarily have a wide receiver do, but make him wide receiver first, make the receiving ability his chief responsibility in that offense. I think we saw it in this one. Dolphins at Bucks. Bucks favored by 10, and it was never close, my guy. 45 to 17. Tommy T, Tommy B looking like a legitimate monster in this game. Easily, I mean, people, I think you're writing a piece on Justin Herbert or wrote a piece on yes. Justin Herbert, him being the MVP front runner. People love Kyler Murray, but how much of that is just voter fatigue? How much of that is just people tired of seeing Tom Brady legitimately dominate every single week? He's one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the NFL right now. What, four or five touchdowns in this game? Like, this was another banner performance for Tom Brady. Excellent down the football field. Both Antonio Brown and Mike Evans go over 100 yards. And I had, this is my number one note Sam Monson, looking at you. Jacoby Brissett is not fun to watch. This guy's horrendous. <laughs> he put out he's fun to watch. He's not fun to watch. This guy oh, sucks. <laughs> you're ruining the fun to watch segment, but not really because I didn't want to talk about that one. But Sam tweeted, or said, not, not even tweeted out, said on the podcast that Jacoby Brissett is fun to watch. And that is like the, the most heinous thing I've ever seen. The literal exact opposite. He was getting very much roasted for that take. Uh, he's slow. Opinion, he struggles so. under pressure. Like, what about his game Six is X, fun to watch? Yeah. Outside of like, you're rooting for an underdog. Like, that's the only fun part of it. It's like, hey, he's probably not going to do well. Oh wow, he actually threw a complete pass. It's a 5.7 yard average depth of target. I don't care who you are. If that's your average depth of target, it's not a fun to watch as quarterback. I don't, I don't disagree. You could be the most electric runner at the position <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, that's not going to be fun to watch. The only other takeaway I had in this one, I don't know how much you had, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers front seven is otherworldly against the run right now. Yeah. Running backs are averaging fewer than 0.5 yards before contact per attempt. They're getting hit consistently tries. at the line of scrimmage and even when they do try. The other thing I was going to add is Jason Pierre-Paul has not played well this year. I know he's battled injury and he's got the big club on his hand too. Lowest pass rush win rate on true pass sets of any edge defender in the NFL right now has not had a ton of success as a pass rusher. But from a run defense perspective, that entire front seven is falling out. Yeah. Saints. Uh, I will. Ahead. I will have to say, to be honest, I was obviously at the Packers Bengals game. So for this one o'clock slate, I did not watch live. I just watched all twenty-two review for some of these. Mm-hmm. So may not have the best takeaways in terms of like actual game scripts. But oh, I so did you're really kind of a piece of shit. No, I really well, the game the script games and, on all twenty-two. The game like, script sometimes and, you just don't know how the hell like penalties yeah. and how it should happen. Fair, what I'm fair, saying. fair. You just don't know anything. I will say that I was the, watching a fucking kicking battle. That was disgusting. <laughs> I well, called we'll that a battle. That was a war of attrition. To be fair, there wasn't a ton of game script. You know, you didn't need to know a ton about this Bucks Dolphins. Yes, one. that's why this one was one I didn't review too closely. Post uh, Saints at football team. Football team were two point dogs at home. This one, these two football teams aren't good, mm. and I think you saw that heavily in this game. The Saints offensive line has allowed pressure on more than 50% of dropbacks this season, the worst in the NFL. From a run blocking perspective, they are bottom 10 in yards before contact per attempt. What is going on? Ryan Ramchek brings second to last in pressure rate allowed on true pass sets. This Andres Pete's getting blown out of the water every single time he suits up. Offensive line's not playing well. The only benefit that they had in this one, in my opinion, was the few deep shots that they took 
they actually hit. Like the Hail Mary yeah. to Marquez Callaway was a jump ball. And then you had the other one where Dante Harris was just streaming wide open. James Winston was only four for 10 on 10 plus yard throws in this game. Had a low grade on those throws. I didn't think he played all that well, but somehow Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team played worse. And that was honestly what it was. It was like, which team is going to be the worst of two, honestly, bad teams in this game? Yeah, Ryan Ramchick playing poorly this season or so far i mean he got dogged by chase young in this game has been surprising but this was kind of the high end of the Jameis winston uh experience this is why i feel like i don't really want to bet any saints games the rest of the year because you're liable to have him go eight of 18 for 136 yards with three touchdowns under pressure like he did in this game with a hail mary at the end of the first yeah. half like he was pressured on 22 of his 30 dropbacks the washington defensive line did their job but holy shit, James No one's Winston. holding up in the back end. Landon Collins, I think, with a sub-30.0 coverage grade in this one. I mean, they're leaving guys wide they open are, down the field. Yeah, they are not getting their money's worth from the guys they paid, like William Jackson, like Landon Collins, in that secondary. I think that's the biggest story here. Continues to be the biggest story with this Washington football team. And on the other side of the ball, you have a cornerback balling out of his mind. Marshawn Lattimore had seven forced incompletions. I mean, he was locking down. Terry McLaurin in that game when they went head-to-head. One of the better performances I've seen from a cornerback all season long. That was, I think that's the most forcing completions for a cornerback in a game since 2015. So That is, I mean, he was obviously a standout performer. I think he earned 90-plus PFF coverage grade, and this one really helped limit what Terry McLaurin was capable of, and that was like kind of their entire offense. Like, they did not have... Well, yeah, that's always kind of been their entire offense. <laughs> receivers so. creating separation outside of that, and you said it, I think, last week or two weeks ago. Taylor Heineke is just a younger Ryan Fitzpatrick, and again, three big-time throws, three turnover-worthy plays in this one. Just that up and down play that volatile yeah. play is just not enough to consistent consistently win football games and i remember after week one new orleans saints you know blow out your green bay packers mm-hmm. and they were like minus two 200 to make the playoffs like people were jumping on this bandwagon quick yeah i'm not buying this team i mean they could seek in the playoffs they obviously win in, in, in on the road in this one but i'm not buying this team as a contender at all better football teams especially the ones in the nfc are going to take these guys down i don't know i think they're so i think the offensive line will be good it's i get when they get Toronto armstead there's back, a lot of reason to expect like that, positive yes, regression exactly that's why I, I think that will get fixed at some point and shit they're still three and two i mean season ends today they are one of the wild cards i believe or tied with the bears and the panthers for one of the wild cards so they're not that far out like that and that's with a lot of bad james in there so we shall see I, i'm not as unsold I think, on the saints as you are i think bad james keeps them from being legitimate contenders mm-hmm. i think they can make the postseason that's fine i mean let seven teams in on both sides i i just don't think of all the teams in the nfc i'm not buying in on the saints despite this dub all right eagles at panthers this was a surprising one panthers were favored by three and a half at home and they take an L to Jalen Hurts and the conservative offense that is the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, they did not throw the football downfield. Hurts, a lot of his success was on running the football, creating some plays, avoiding negative plays. That, I don't think it's brought up enough with some of the mobile quarterbacks. Yeah. I think on Trey Lance's film, you saw some of that. And you saw it on Jalen Hurts' film this week. Avoiding sacks and throwing the football away is good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can do that's very, and Jalen Hurts and Trey Lance both did that on multiple occasions. I thought not very accurate with the football, made plays with his legs. And then on defense, Darius Slay, I mean, read Sam Darnold like a fiddle. I mean, played him like a fiddle on that throw that he made from the end zone. He also had another pick in this one. This was the bad Sam Darnold that the yes. Jets know and love. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Eagles just did enough to win this one. Yeah. Darnold just taking chances he didn't need to take outside the numbers uh, against. The last one, I think, was quarters that Steven Nelson said he knew 
with that formation that that's where they were going jump that route which was I mean, also a lollipop from darnold that one was one that exactly like he didn't just didn't a, th- a risky throw that did not need to be made in that kind of situation and then obviously the pick from slay was i think cover two that he fell off on that was again like too many risky throws it was the bad darnold again that we had seen at times i think it's just going to be I talked about the Saints offensive line. I have faith in them turning around. I do not have faith in this Panthers offensive line turning it around. 24 of 37 dropbacks under pressure. Again, you don't win games. Like To have won that game would have been a steal when your offensive line's playing that poorly. Uh, got John Miller giving up seven pressures in yeah. this game. Brady Christensen gets a start and gives up six pressures. Like You are just, if you're going to trot out this offensive line, I have no clue why you don't put Taylor Mouton at right tackle where he's played his entire career, and Brady Christensen at left tackle, where he's played his entire career at BYU. That makes no sense to me. Okay, but that's off my whatever uh, soapbox there. But it, keeping that as is, your offensive line's not going to be great. You're, you're making both of those guys worse by putting them out of position like that. A lot of pressure came from the interior, too, starting with John Miller. I think some Panthers fans are calling for cornbread. Deontay Brown, the rookie out of Alabama, to come in and start. The other thing I put here... <laughs> You know, Slay had that pick in cover two. Darnold's wind up just as he was sitting kind of on the flat, but it just wasn't enough mustard to get over, um, obviously, D- D- uh, Darius Slay there. And the other one, you know, you see the windup for Sam Darnold, the other pick to Darius Slay, and DJ Moore just gets worked. Like, Slay just beats him to that the ball. That was a hell of a play. That, that was one a- was the one where it was like, okay, not much Darnold can do about that. Because Darnold's expecting just, more to beat him on just, that route. Yeah, exactly. He expects the guy to fall off a little bit on the hitch and just, nope, that was a great play by Slay. I put roller coaster of ball location for Darnold, too. There was a lot of inaccurate throws. A handful of times were like, oh, wow, that's the Darnold that started the season. And then, holy shit, that was horrendous. <laughs> what are we doing here? I think that's um, not what you like to see. What was your take on Hertz's play? I mean, I thought it was a little bit up and down, still not very accurate. But as long as you keep him from making disastrous mistakes and keep this offense conservative as they did, I thought he made some plays. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it is that they, they are trusting him a ton. This is the most pass-happy team in the NFL in terms of like neutral game script where they don't have to pass where it's just like middle of the game game's not over game's not sided they are dropping back to pass a lot with hurts which is kind of i guess counterintuitive of how people have sort of schemed around quarterbacks that are legit rushing threats like mm-hmm. that that if those guys more often than not are the most run heavy offenses in the nfl uh obviously you saw what you know the 49ers did with trey lance you see what the ravens always do with Lamar jackson like those are run heavy teams when those guys are in and the Eagles have gone the opposite way, really putting a lot on Jalen Hurts' plate, saying, hey, you win these games for us. And it's like, yeah, they haven't scored a ton of points, but he's also not losing the games for them either. So that's, I guess, how I felt about his performance in this one. I don't think he's losing the games for them, and they they are throwing the football probably at a higher clip than I expected, but they're also not asking him to make a ton of downfield throws. I mean, he still has very low average depth target, and I think that is helpful. Like, they're seldom taking their shots downfield, letting, yeah. letting those guys eat after the catch. Before we get to Texans at Patriots, going to bring up DraftKings, big sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943. So if I say this is a no-brainer, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code PFF, and throw down $1 on any NFL game 
and you win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Patriots, Texans. Texans, eight and a half point dogs. And I said it on the preview pod. You did. I'm betting Davis Mills. We got him. We came from Davis. We came through. He came through. Davis, the neck Mills, came through. I need apology letters out and about. I will say, my first note, Davis Mills wasn't completely terrible. He was good. He was good. Hit some open receivers. He also had a drop touchdown in the red zone. Then he took the sack after that. Kind of made that drive look worse than it was. Pat's defense, what the hell? They gave him a lot of open receivers. They couldn't get after the passer against that Texans offensive line. I mean, this felt like a... Just like an, I mean, I thought Bill Belichick was going to be in his back here and unloading on Davis Mills. He actually, like, did. I, I thought that defense underperformed pretty significantly. Like, it wasn't Davis Mills like overcoming just like a, a, a monstrous performance from Bill Belichick. I thought there were some lapses on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, everyone and their mother every time Bill Belichick faces a quarterback's like, okay, it's Bill Belichick versus Rick quarterback. It's game over. And Davis Mills come in with overall grades of 32.7, 56.4, and 32.2 in his first three games as an NFL player. Goes 85.9 in this one. He had that rip early on to uh, Conley, mm-hmm. Chris Conley, where I'm like, who the hell does he think he is? He's running to his right, throws it like 40 yards downfield. It's like a back shoulder to Conley right on the sidelines. One of I the best that... throws all weekend. And he's just on, had another one on the move to Moore, Chris Moore as well, that ended up almost scoring. Like he was ripping it. And I was like, damn, like, no fear. Yeah, the confidence, no fear in his game against that defense was pretty hashtag fun to watch, to be honest. Uh, and so I was <laughs> I was very impressed with him. Obviously, fault, like didn't sustain that heat all the way down the stretch and ended up losing. But, well, that was, that was like interesting. That was one of the probably, I don't know, shit. Was that the best rookie performance we've seen from quarterback all year? It was close to it. I mean, considering the opponent, that was pretty damn good. No, absolutely. I, he also had, I thought, I love the ball placement on the, the first touchdown, the tight end there, a little back shoulder over the top. I thought that was pretty hot. I think he was playing, Yeah. I think he was playing almost like with nothing to lose. You know, I think he was out there, I mean, especially with the throws he had on the move, I thought were really impressive. Get Moving the pocket, pushing the ball downfield. That was, hey, 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 like, bets are off, dude. Just go out there and sling it. And I thought that was pretty awesome to see. Uh, wish you could see that from Trevor Lawrence and the coaching staff in Jacksonville. Um, buried the lead, though. The Patriots won this game. I, I you saw, uh, I don't know if you were watching the Scott Hansen version of Red Zone on Sunday. You probably weren't. But Hansen went as far as to say, like, oh, Davis Mills came back and won, and this is the first time. And then he was like, wait, I have to correct myself. He didn't. Patriots win, which I feel like is kind of what we just did there. Patriots <laughs> win 25-22. Yeah. Mac Jones, yikes. Hit, he The box score will look a lot better than what Mac Jones looks like from a PFF grading perspective. So much of his yards came over the middle off-run action to wide-open receivers. He did have a nice little honey-hole shot to Jacoby Myers that they did drop in cover two, but you could have easily seen four or five picks in this game, in my opinion. I, I thought there yeah. were a handful of times where it's like, oh, buddy, that went to right to a Houston Texans def- you know, defender's hands and it was dropped or whatever. He did have one pick in this game, but it was, it was an ugly performance for Mac Jones. Yeah, it, it was... It was kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like the game he's played all year long where it's underneath, 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 get the ball in my hand, get the ball in my hand. And he did a good job of doing so 
knowing that you're down four starting off the lineman, knowing that like if he held the ball at all, it probably wasn't going to end well for him. So he did a good job of at least that and avoiding uh, those negative sacks for the most part. But man, he did throw the ball. What it ended up with three turnover plays in this game. He was giving, putting that ball in harm's way consistently uh, when he did was forced to push the ball on field, when he tried to do that. So that is the worrisome thing. Obviously, they do still win because of that ridiculous fake punt. That was, I mean, if it would have been a primetime game, you would have seen it and heard about it all over because it was, it was one of the most unnecessary fake punts. Like they still punted it, it <laughs> you know, yeah. it went zero yards. It was awful. It was a fake punt, punt that went zero yards. I, I don't know how to describe it. It was bad. You got to go watch it. Yeah, it just, yeah, just Google it. It's not great. But I will say I was concerned with Mac Jones coming out of this game. I did not like what we saw from Mac. That needs to be. Yeah, considering the opponent mm-hmm. level of competition, but again, down four offense linemen, even if you're not under pressure. I don't think the off- they weren't under pressure but, but I'm saying, even if you're not under pressure, that is in your head. Like, you are you are under pressure from yourself knowing that you might be under pressure. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I got you. I Probably get what you're saying. Does. I think I kind of get what you're saying. <laughs> uh, regardless, Davis Mills outplayed Mac Jones. They should have selected him in the first round. Yeah, that's, I think, the big take. We need a Davis, have. the neck Mills poster on this show. Stone Rochelle, podcast producer. Make we it We need happen. a bigger desk though to get that neck to get there. the neck on there yeah yeah I, I mean i mean we might need to i'm just saying we need to make something happen yeah um all right packers Bengals. you were at this game cheering with the mom and dad anyone else go just your mom and dad my mom dad my niece my brother my sister-in-law family freaking renter affair what'd we you guys do after travel uh went to holy grail nice watch that's why i watched the four o'clock game so i can speak more intelligently about the four o'clock can't games. wait because it's been a horrendous time <laughs> right <laughs> i can speak intelligently about this one too to a degree um i actually really like that they kind of swallowed the, the whistles in this one four flags all day mm. i was really happy with that i like games where it's like hey that could have been a pi but don't call everything ticky tack because that's how you have the sunday night game that we saw last night where it was just like that was Lord. horrendous like, <laughs> al michaels no one, is no one's always calls that out too al michaels is always like oh guess what yeah. another flag he hates those games but i will i'm pretty sure this game took years off my life my like my legs and heart rate were shaking we're not steady for the last, I mean, five straight missed field goals. When's the last time that's happened in a game? I don't know. We it probably should have worked. It was not fun to watch. <laughs> but it was hashtag not fun to watch. Four missed game winners that would have legitimately won the game for either side. Um, it was pretty brutal, but to come away with the win, I'll fucking take it. I'll fucking take it. I thought Devontae Adams in this game was otherworldly. He had, what, 60% of the team's passing yards, more than 50% of their passing first downs. The deep ball. So everyone talked about Aaron Rodgers' throw on that deep one late in the game. You look at the stutter step that Adams puts on that release. I mean, or not the release, but it's like halfway through the route, and it slows up Chidobe Awuzie just enough to kind of create some separation. And then that last second dig in the fourth was just, just the dude creates separation with such ease. He is... If Tyreek Hill didn't exist, I don't think it would even be a conversation that he's the best receiver in the NFL. I do think there is a conversation because of the different skill sets that the two bring to the table. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious that Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are wide receiver 1A and wide receiver 1B because th- he is that good, in my opinion. It, it is truly incredible to me. And, and I tweeted this during the game. Hats off to Matt LaFleur because there's no one else. When Aaron Rodgers <laughs> drops back to I mean, pass, yeah. when he drops back to pass, there is no one else that you have to care about as a defense running around. I mean, like, obviously, Aaron Jones dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, A.J. Dillon is difficult to bring down if you're like a cornerback in space. But 
Randall Cobb was second on this team for in terms of wide receivers with three targets. He had 30 yards. Devontae Adams goes for 206. Like, it's absurd. It's, it's like a joke at this point that there's one guy and no one still stops him. It's, if they had if they had a second guy, this team could be unreal, but they don't, and they're still unreal. Where's like Kumaro? <laughs> they're still ridiculous. Let's what? go get Kumaro. Okay. <laughs> I do think that they need another receiver. And I mean, everyone does, but they I mean, still do a very good job of scheming around them. Yeah. Robert Tunyon had a couple catches in this one. But yeah, like I said, 60% of the passing yards were fucking Adams. I mean, that was yeah. that was absurd. That was an insane. That's like a college split. You don't see that in the NFL. Normally you like limit and double those guys. Um, the other thing I added here. Jamar Chase versus Eric Stokes was really sweet yeah. to see. You saw on that deep ball from Joe Burrow um, to to Jamar Chase over Eric Stokes. He had him burnt, and then Joe Burrow left it hanging. I thought you saw some loopers from Burrow in this one that could have been bigger completions. And even on the long Jamar Chase touchdown where Darnell Savage was like this close to breaking up that pass, that ball was in the air for too long. Like it, yeah. Chase was open. Um, so, that- so Chase may have drop issues but he has ridiculously good ball skills. He attacks the ball yeah. as good as any receiver. Shit, even like in the NFL. Like he's up there with DeAndre Hopkins in the way that that ball's in the air. He is going to get it at the point where he needs to that he can get around you. And you saw it multiple times in that game where I'm not certain he was open mm-hmm. every single time. And he was actually open on the one that uh, Joe Burrow underthrew and bring Eric Stokes back in on the pure go ball. But there are a number of times where he wasn't, that he didn't even stack the receiver and, or excuse me, stack the cornerback and still makes a play. Uh, he truly is like you debated the fifth overall pick left and right, and they they did it right. They, they got the right decision. I, I don't think there's obviously Pete Sewell could turn out to be an All Pro left tackle, but I think this was still for this team probably the right decision. Here's here's the stat: number three offensive tackle and pressure rate allowed on true pass sets. Jonah Williams, baby. Left tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals, former first rounder, former PFF darling out of Alabama, playing well in what would have been Sewell's shoes. Meanwhile, Jamar Chase is going on to break potentially rookie receiving yards records, rookie touchdown records as we move forward. We didn't, we bare the lead. Green Bay wins this game 25 22. A lot of that was like, who the fuck's going to make this field goal? Why did Zach Taylor not go for that fourth and two? I looked it up. It's a 55% chance, roughly, on field goals over 55 yards that go in. That's obviously. Every kicker in the NFL, maybe you give McPherson a better shot, who cares, 60%. I have more faith in the offense picking up two yards, and I have more faith in the repercussions if you don't. It's seven yards back if you miss yeah. that field goal. That's where Aaron Rodgers and company picked that up, where they should have lost the game anyway. Mason Crosby should have made that field goal. And, you know, the other part of it is I do feel, I feel like I have more faith in them picking up two yards than I do McPherson picking up the 57. Yeah, I think the biggest story of this game was how tight both play callers got. You know, you talked about the big catch for Devontae Adams. All of a sudden... Uh, Packers offense had anything they want through the air. They run the ball two times at like the six-yard line. You get nothing out of that trip because Mason Crosby misses the field goal. And then they go back and forth on who can try farther field goals to try to win a game. Made no who sense. can try to get themselves in just into field goal territory, but not any, but any further. Don't get me a 30-yarder. Get me that 45-plus yarder with this wind coming out of the south end zone that my kicker can hit it and still think he made it. And uh, did not go in. You see, you saw that, right? The yeah. Reaction that he thought he had he made thought it he made it, and it did not. How yeah. did he think he made it when it hit the upright? I don't understand that. He, well, he turned around for it, even went in. I He's guess like so. Pretty certain of himself. Well, that was a hilarious ending to that game. I thought I, Cincinnati should have won it. They should have won it. They should have gone for four, four on, gone for it on fourth and two, and I think they ultimately win that game. And then I was like, Green Bay's got to win this. And then Mason Crosby misses that one before regulation. And then at that point, I was like, whoever's going to make it, make it. Um, 
Next I have on this list is Titans Jags. Titans at Jags. Jags were four and a half point dogs at home. That was not enough. <laughs> this was not a good game for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, 37-19, Tennessee Titans win. Trevor Lawrence is great in the first three quarters, 71.4. And I thought he looked good. Yeah. Put the ball in good places, did not press. And we talk a lot about Trevor Lawrence pressing. I bring up the, the second half of the LSU game and a lot of the games that he's been in this season where he's kind of trying to be a superhero. Fourth quarter... Got to show up. 28.8 PFF grade. Inaccurate. That pick in the end zone. Was, I, don't, I don't even know what that was. I thought did it was, he not see the linebacker because he was in white? I thought because the, there were letters on the end zone that were white. I literally, so I had to watch. I watched it from the sideline angle. And then I'm like, did that get tipped? <laughs> I'm like, I go watch the end zone angle. I'm like, nope, that wasn't even, that was one of the worst. I mean, that was very reminiscent of his throw week one where it's just like, I don't even like it's almost like he was throwing to the defender himself. And, and then you it. have then you have the pick he threw on the corner to what Jamal Agnew from the slot that was also yeah. in the red zone. And it's like my take is like okay yeah ball could have been placed better, but you're throwing a corner out to Jamal Agnew in the fucking red zone. Like the supporting cast yeah. for the Jacksonville Jaguars is horrendous, and that includes the coaching staff. Where if you watch back that game, the camera pans to Urban Meyer like after every bad play for Jacksonville, and he's like on his hands and knees, looking down like this. He's just like. After that every bad play, his body player. language is defeated, defeated yeah. on all of these plays. I just don't know, man. I don't know. It's uh, it is a the panic button is not just hit; it is legitimately being laid on by the Jaguars mascot at this point in Jacksonville. It does not look good. I feel like this game of any this weekend was the classic went exactly how everyone predicted it. Would yeah, go. like like I don't. Everyone's like, yeah, Henry's going to go for hundred. 20 plus he goes for 29 carries 130 three touchdowns like the trevor lawrence maybe he's turned the corner but he's a rookie he's going to make mistakes you're not going to rally around urban meyer and whatever the hell went on with him last weekend it's not going it's not something that's going to galvanize the team it's going to in fact probably uh divide the team if anything and they're going to look flat and they looked flat and lost the game you wanted to bring up harold landry though oh i did want to bring up harold landry because he leads the NFL in pressures right now. Wow. 30 pressures. Five pressures in every single game. Five more in this one. That's insane. Wait, only five in every game? Or no, he has had more he has, five. He had 10 I'm, I'm in week idiot. three, but he's had at least five in every single game. The only guy in the NFL that can say that. He's been two sacks in this one. Breakout year four. That was one of my calls, right? I think I said that one in the preseason. I also said Josh Jackson. So take my take it with a grain of salt, like, uh, like Mike Zimmer says. Fair. Pittsburgh, Denver. Pittsburgh beats on Denver. I think Denver was actually a one-point favorite on in this game. Um, Pittsburgh wins 27-19. to 19. This was a better Big Ben than what we'd seen in the previous yeah. four weeks. Here into what, a 70-plus PFF grade in this one. The throw to Deontay Johnson was sick. Super sick. And it, it was it was lofty, but it was in the bucket. Dropped yeah. right in the bucket for Deontay Johnson. That was the deep, I think it was what, a 52-yard touchdown early in that game. I thought he had another seed to chase Claypool later. Mm -hmm. He had some good ball location coupled with some bad ball location but overall a strong performance for big ben uh easily the best performance he's had this season yeah and then i'd argue on the other side of the ball it was very difficult for the broncos offensive line to hold up and even though javante williams i thought had some good runs in this one it just wasn't enough like they don't have the receiving core to go toe-to-toe -to -toe, and they don't have the uh, obviously the offensive line to go toe-to-toe -to -toe either yeah i think this is what pittsburgh envisioned kind of when they had the running back they're like we have a good enough defense that you have to basically have an elite offense to beat us. And that hadn't necessarily been the case through the first four weeks of the season, but I think that very much was in this game. You have, you know, TJ Watt 
being a problem. You have that entire front seven just causing so many issues for the Broncos. And like, I, I go to the to the play. I think it was at the end of the second quarter or towards the end of the second quarter where he's at the five yard line. Has a guy Teddy's got a guy breaking wide open on kind of like a mesh concept in the back of the end zone. But Blitz gets home before he can even get it off. Takes a sack. Obviously, they end up picking a field goal, but just like those missed opportunities because their blitz, blitz packages are that good that you don't have that time to get to where you want to go to. And obviously, Teddy is not the kind of guy who's going to make up for it with those explosive plays on the football field. He has to sustain, continue to sustain drives and just couldn't in this game. Another proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast is Western and Southern. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions help you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. On to Detroit at Minnesota. The Lions should have won this game. The Lions should have won this game. Dan Cramble, Dan Cramble, <laughs> I was I mixed crying and Campbell. Dan Cramble, Dan Campbell crying after the game was hard to watch. Yeah, that some people that that I couldn't tweet it, I couldn't bring it up, but people are like calling it passion. And I know that's passion, but how many times have you seen coaches cry after regular season games like this when your teams are bad? Like we saw Urban Meyer in near tears, and now we've seen Dan Campbell in, in literal tears. Yeah, not usually. I mean, usually it's like uh, anger. It's anger like or like some level of composure. Out. Yeah. I mean, people don't cry after Super Bowls, man. I, I mean, this, I'm not, I'm not crying. I'm not, this is not what I'm harping on, but it is interesting to see how much we have seen some crying here. Urban Meyer and Dan Campbell are crying after the games. It's passion. I get that. But this was a game they should have won. I get, uh, I also understand another, that like one. An, another game they should have won. They are kind of, they're really leaning into the tank, even though they're not. Like they're they're obviously zero and five, haven't won a game yet, but they're in a lot of these games. They got a lot of heart, you know? like they're actually in a lot of them still. Which Lions fan, that's kind of like what you want. You like you would like to lose and get a high draft pick, but you'd also like the team to like have fun. The team to look good, yeah, yeah. You know, have a good time. Mm -hmm. Everyone to be ha happy and healthy at the end of the day. But no, I, I this was one of the Vikings that you lose that game. R.I.P. Oh, yeah, that's it. Hey. Thanks for coming. What, one and four. Yeah, they would have dropped to one and four. It's like thanks for coming out. You're not making the playoffs at one and four. Just that's not going to happen in the NFC right now. So must win for them. Backs against the wall. Had to pull that out. But uh, yeah, they still just can't. Sort of nothing comes together completely for them. Whether it's, and it's that's what happens when you have as bad an offensive line as they do. Like they need Christian Derisaw to be back healthy and playing good football because Rashad Hill is the lowest grade left tackle in the NFL right now. You are not, again, like we keep saying, you're just not going to be consistent when you have that level of incompetence along your offensive line. And that's, I think we're seeing that with Kirk Cousins playing exceptionally well again. Kirk yeah. Cousins grading out very well, but it's still just not going to look good when you don't have that time consistently. I mean, Kirk Cousins is the second highest graded quarterback on throws of 10 plus yards. He's the highest graded quarterback from a clean pocket. And he has been nothing short of exceptional so far this year. It's been everything else. MVP caliber. I was going to be like, Ooh, maybe. <laughs> I no. think it's everything else that has struggled. Obviously, yeah. the Dalvin Cook injury did not help him in this one. And I also wanted to bring up, hand up. That was so lower on Justin Jefferson than it ever should have been. He has yeah. legitimately developed into a star. Yeah. He is he's winning in such a 
diverse way. Like he is winning in contested catch situations. He is creating separation. He wins on the vertical route tree. He's running underneath. This has been such an impressive start for Justin Jefferson. I think him and Justin Herbert have both wildly exceeded expectations among Justins yeah. at the, from the 2020 class. But they have been both really, really good. And I, I think. I, I think it's also another reason, like just another good example of why I think age at receiver is very important to look at. The guy was not even 21 years old when he was drafted. You know, like mm-hmm. that's to be, to go back and watch the tape of like his sophomore year and to take big takeaways from that. That guy was 19 years old. It's like, that's not, that's not who he is when he's going to get to the NFL. Like I, I do think, um, like when you do break out, in an age 20 season or when like you, you are still a young guy producing at a high level. I'm not sure it necessarily is that big of a deal if you didn't do it prior to that. Like, I, I still do think age is so important when a guy's doing it at 23, 24 in college, like a, uh, gosh, who was the, who was the Western Michigan receiver last year? Dwayne Eskridge. Dwayne Eskridge. When he breaks out that year, it's like, he is the man of X boys. Justin Jefferson was still doing it when he was the younger guy on the football field. So I think that was something we underrated or didn't give enough weight to. When and he was out. doing so, so many of the little things well yeah. at, at a young age too. And I think that's a bigger factor as well. Los Angeles Chargers, Cleveland Browns, maybe the game of the weekend. I mean, this was a really electric game chargers win 47 42 brand staley going for multiple fourth downs really showing out in this one i mean coach of the year obvious he's the obvious favorite i think i got him at plus like 1200 or plus 1400 before the season he's now i think under plus a thousand to win coach of the year he has been phenomenal as has justin herbert now there is the caveat that and i think you mentioned this somewhere on twitter that the browns were out a handful of defensive backs and yeah. that showed up in communication you know tj carey was like Lost. letting mike williams run wildly open i think multiple deep touchdowns for herbert in this mm-hmm. one like he had like 20 yards of separation um i think that's a reason why justin herbert doesn't have like a 90 plus passing grade in this one either it's like a lot of his big plays a lot of his big production were wide open dudes down the football field with broken coverages on the back end yeah newsom obviously was out before the game and then i believe ward and greedy hurt in this one as well so they were by that fourth quarter when it's like going back and forth left and right it's like they were throwing out uh gosh uh aj green on the outside who was a udfa last year or was a seventh rounder whatever like they're throwing out guys who did not who should not be on football fields if you're trying to win football games and getting toasted so that was obviously an issue i'm not too worried about like the browns defense long term giving up as many points as they did in this game when those guys come back but another fourth quarter sort of comeback attempt for Baker fall short no 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 Odell putting up numbers in this game is that still a thing can you never do that voice again I mean Baker Mayfield played well in this one I know he didn't pull out the fourth quarter win but they that was they just maybe left too much time that was a tough that was a tough one man that was tough and the back end I thought you would expect how much time did they have left after Austin Eckler was like pulled minute 30 minute 30 which was one of the I've never seen a guy forced to score I mean, like, you've seen guys l- allow a score. Mm-hmm. But, like, he legitimately is like, oh, shit, I shouldn't, like, I didn't want to score. Why don't you take a knee in that situation? I don't know why they didn't take a knee. That was weird. They should have just taken two knees. And because they had no, the Browns had no timeouts, that's it. Like, two knees, kick field goal, whatever, it's over. That was your, there's a reason why the Browns wanted him to score. It's because it's that, was their be- that was their best way of winning. Because it's a 1% chance of winning. As opposed to you give Baker Mayfield a minute thirty to drive down the football field, it's a greater than one percent chance. That's yeah. somewhere. I mean, I mean, just off the top of my head, it's probably around ten percent. Yeah, it's probably somewhere in that neighborhood of your chance of winning at that point. So, uh, smart play by the Browns defenders. But yeah, another weird sort of 
decision by Staley. Well, no, I, I think it's baby steps for Staley. The first time he like went quick for the score, like yeah. threw for the score. This time he knew and told them, he was like, hey, don't score, don't score. And then the Browns threw them in. The first time you've even ever saw that. Yeah. I think the next time they're in this situation, Brandon Staley takes a knee and does not end up uh, having this happen. Um, I thought the running backs in this one were hashtag fun to watch as well. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Austin Eckler all had like phenomenal games in this one. Yeah, if you Chargers, like watching Chargers running back run play. Did not good. Yeah. <laughs> they went off. Which was like the matchup I said was the biggest matchup heading in until obviously then the Browns cornerbacks got hurt, which was then the biggest mismatch in that game. Trying to guard Mike Williams with those backups was no bueno. I want to wait till we go over the Sunday night football game, the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City, before I ask you who you feel the top teams in the AFC are. Mm. But I do, that question is coming your way. I hope you have it ready. Um, On to Chicago at Las Vegas, in Las Vegas, in the Death Star. Raiders were favored by what? Five and a half in this game, and they lay like the biggest egg of all time. This was a horrendous approach from Vegas. Um, I think on it, and it all happened in the trenches. Elijah Wilkinson was the highest grade offensive player in this game, the tackle for the Chicago Bears, the mismatch that everyone saw off with Unique Ngakwe and Max Crosby. The two other highest graded players for the Browns were the two guards, James Daniels and Cody Whitehair. Like their offensive line showed up, and the Brown, I mean, the Raiders' offensive line did not. Yeah. You know, uh, the right side of that offensive line, including center Andre James, who's the lowest grade center in the NFL. Then you have Alex Leatherwood, who just got kicked in from right tackle to right guard, not playing well. And then you have right tackle Brandon Parker going against Khalil Mack. Might as well be a baptism. It was, and, and you have Derek Carr consistently under pressure, and he didn't play perfect. You know, he had what, a 73 ish grade in this one. Spotty with some accuracy, didn't get any help from his receivers. You saw Brian Edwards drop a ball in this one. This was, if not everything goes right with Derek Carr, yeah. this team is going to lose bad as five and a half point favorites at home. Yeah. Again, 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 it comes back to kind of what I just said. If you have a bad offensive line and you have Alex Leatherwood and Brandon Parker, the two lowest grade tackles in the NFL, regardless of position, mm-hmm. two lowest grade. When you are that bad, you have to take advantage of every single play that's there. You can't give up more plays. You can't have Brian Edwards not coming down with that ball in the end zone. Brian Edwards not coming down with that wide open bust coverage deep. Having they had four drops all in the second half, the Raiders did in this game. That's just going to neuter your chances of any comeback at that point. You are not going to have it. And so uh, this Raiders offense is just going to be a little Jekyll and Hyde. It's going to go in streaks where it looks tough. That's a good way to put it. Because that's a bottom five offense line in the NFL right now. Yeah. I think uh, I was asked a question on the Raiders radio hit or Vegas radio hit who has the worst offensive line. I think I did say Chicago, mm-hmm. but the, I mean, because of Colt Miller mostly, but man, this lineup, they tried it out this week was horrendous. And uh, Chicago took advantage. Khalil Mack, I think multiple sacks in this one on his best friend. I think they brought that up 50 times on the broadcast, his best friend, Derek Carr. Um, <laughs> 49ers uh, well I will, I will say this about fields so it wasn't oh, we didn't talk about it wasn't a banner fields performance by any means i did love that touchdown throw very uh aaron Rodgers-esque. and they just Uh-oh. zips it over his shoulder uh of the defender but i did think there were signs of improvement i thought you saw him get the ball of his hands much better in this game when maybe it wasn't there initially at least protecting himself only took two sacks and i believe 23 dropbacks uh so that was nice against like you said what we thought would be a mismatch against going up against the Bears offensive line, Justin Fields at least didn't bring more pressure onto himself like we've seen from him in the past. He, when things weren't there, at least got the ball out of his hands. I do, I do wonder. I mean, if you this Raiders secondary too, we didn't even bring it up, but like they are also injury strained. I mean, Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett, which maybe you don't want Damon Arnett playing, but still, like you're down to like your third, fourth, and fifth cornerback yeah. on the back end. That's not going to help you out 
help you either. Um, 49ers at Cardinals. Cardinals were favored by four and a half, five and a half. They win 17-10. I didn't think Trey Lance looked awful in this one. I thought they could have ran the ball with him more. I thought that's where he was probably having the most success. But he was inaccurate and confident. I thought he was confident with his ball placement. You saw that on the first down reception by Brandon Ayuk, which he just fit in there. I think he had another reception too in contested coverage that, or another pass into contested coverage to Brandon Ayuk that I thought was special. I think you see the specialness with Trey Lance running the football and throwing the football. I just don't think he's inac- He's very inaccurate right now. Yeah, And that is something we saw dating back to times at North Dakota State. That needs to improve if you're going to see more than 10 points in a game. Yeah, I actually, when I went back and watched, I was, I will say it was better than I thought watching live. Watching live, I'm like, damn, he can't move the ball like whatsoever. Going back and watching like the ultimate two, I'm like, okay, he's not, it's actually not disastrous. They're just kind of, he's, he's too inaccurate to be not as in control of the offense as he is right now. It reminded me a lot of kind of early games in Josh Allen's career where it's like you see the talent, you see like these high end plays that are these impressive plays and like he can make something out of nothing but you can't just rely on that like he has to have a better command of the offense first and just a little better accuracy to really start moving the football and you just didn't see it in this game and then I think we would thought a lot differently about the performance if he gets in on that goal line play that Isaiah Simmons stuck him, right? which was insane to me. That was one of the best sticks I've ever seen. Tanner Vallejo, they were, I think they were praising Simmons on the broadcast, but like, Vallejo came out of nowhere. That guy should not have been involved in that play. Heck of a play by both of them to, I mean, Trey Lance has to get that fucking ball in. He's got to get the ball up somewhere, reaching for that goal line, knowing it's fourth down. But to get stuck right there was, we, like I said, I think we would have thought a lot differently about this performance in this game as a whole had he gotten in. I, I think it gets better for him, though. I mean, I was not yeah. at all alarmed, like significantly alarmed, like, oh, don't play him. You're going to ruin him. I do think that there was, no. you know, the confidence was good. I think he's going to continue to play well. This was also, I put in my notes here, one of my one of Kyler's worst games this season. He had two fumbles on run plays yeah. where, like, he skipped the ball to Chase Edmonds. They were covered both by the Cardinals, so it's not going to show up a ton in the, uh, in the box score. Had some misses as well, but I thought the most impressive thing, I think this has been him all year, he gives his guys chances. Yeah. Like DeAndre Hopkins, a chance in the end zone there. Rondell Moore along the sideline, which is just nuts yeah. that he got his feet down. And I think you're going to benefit as a quarterback having that confidence in your receivers, especially when they are as talented as Rondell Moore and DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, this is a, I wrote here, a fun to watch all-star team. Like this is a, <laughs> every single position offensively, you got guys who are, like you said, guys who are capable of making plays and then a quarterback at the helm who is now saying, I'll give you those chances to make those plays. Like just heaving it up to DeAndre Hopkins saying, hey, come down with this. I know, like I, I know this probably isn't a great chance. Like I know this probably may not uh, be by the book whatsoever, but these are two guys out on, you know, schoolyard who are the best two players here. Uh, we're going to see what we can do. And I think the more of that, the more this offense will avoid those kind of lulls we've seen in the, in the past when it's like he could have very easily just thrown the ball away and said, hey, we'll live to – fighting another down but now let me give my guy a chance and I think the more he does that in that offense and that not, now having multiple playmakers like that I think this offense is going to be tough to stop Giants at Cowboys aka Kadarius Tony season Dallas wins 44-20 over the Giants Daniel Jones goes down with a concussion Kenny Galladay left this game with an injury Saquon Barkley had the swollen ankle from hell that thing looks Ooh, monstrous I've been there it looked gross it was yeah. not great 
Um, but Kadarius Tony, I think, what, 189 yards in this game? He was touches. phenomenal. And you saw the same juice, the same agility, the same gumbiness, <laughs> for lack of a better word, that you saw at Florida. And getting him the football in his hands, he'll do special things. But I thought, too, the contested catch he had along the sideline was impressive. Like he, had, he showed some good ball skills. This was such a massive improvement for Kadarius Tony, obviously from the start of this season. And then to finish it with a little swing on Demonte Casey, former Aztec legend, obviously that's a downgrade. He had it. He spanned the spectrum in that game. <laughs> that was a full experience for sure. And he still looks different. Like he still looks like grown NFL guys who get paid millions and millions of dollars cannot touch him in space. Like he had that sort of. Uh, he had that downfield whip router. I think it was just an adjustment to like a dig on Trayvon Diggs where he just sends him flying like yeah. because he can stop like that. And he kind of had an underneath out route where he just backs up between two guys and he's off at full speed again. Like he, I think I, I, I had a quote, I got quote graphicked in the spring saying Kadaris Tony moves differently than anyone I, I've seen since probably Dante Hall. And then I had like a hundred replies being like, you never, have you never watched this guy you never watch this guy it's like go watch Kadarius Tony in this game and tell me you've seen a guy move the way he moves it's it's ridiculous he, he is agree. capable of things that other people aren't is he still a complete receiver eh, maybe not but I think they've started using him in a way where it's just like kind of how they did at Florida where he's running these option routes from the slot where an option route with Kadarius Tony you give him the option to go either way against you you're fucking toast you're yeah. not gonna have a chance no I agree I think the the usage is key I also think you know trust from Daniel Jones and the others is also gonna be monstrous the other thing I had here Randy Gregory you know there was a person that went to bed last night and not had nightmares of Randy Gregory it was Nate Solder left mm -hmm. tackle Andre Andrew Thomas didn't play in this one Randy Gregory ate his lunch man he was relentless at a 90 plus pass rushing grade in this one consistently put pressure on the quarterback that was hard to watch man it was almost like it was losing football seeing what Solder was doing against Gregory both in the run game and in pass protection they just had no opportunities and even on some of the Kadarius Tony big plays like under pressure because that matchup was obviously a mismatch yeah Solder's firmly on wash watched wash wash wash, wash. watch <laughs> I gosh can't say it correctly but cooked watch cooked watch I think I was wash watched whatever I can't I still can't even say it but yeah he firmly is after opting out last year. But the guy I want to highlight, Trayvon Diggs. Six picks now. Five games. No one's had double-digit picks since. Last guy to have double-digit picks. Who is it? Night Train Lane. Okay. Well, <laughs> no. Uh, Antonio Camardi in 2007. It's been over a decade since I someone's had double-digit double double digit children. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got both. Uh, it may have triple-digit of one of those at this point. But Trayvon Diggs, already six through five games. But... He's also four, giving up the fourth most yards in the NFL. <laughs> He's yeah. giving up 335 yards too. So you're really getting the full digs experience, which I don't think any Cowboys fan is going to complain about so far uh, that yards because those ball skills are legit, sick. Very legit. He yeah. also hasn't allowed a touchdown this season. He's played the most coverage snaps of any cornerback without a touchdown allowed at 206. Buffalo, KC. This did not go as I expected. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's her. That's a good way to put this it. This did not go as expected. Buffalo wins 38-20 on the road in Arrowhead. I think the Chiefs were, what, three and a half, four point favorites? Mm -hmm. Big concern here. Chiefs defense is bad. Dan Sorensen needs to be benched. They're giving up big play after big play. They aren't creating pressure on the quarterback. They can't stop the run. It is the 32nd ranked defense in EPA per play allowed. 32nd ranked defense in explosive play percentage allowed. This is awful. So awful that when Patrick Mahomes, again, is not playing perfect, he hasn't been perfect this year, and has to press and has to come back, 
you're going to lose a lot of football games. And they have. Two and three on the season. No one saw this coming from the Chiefs. And so, no Chris Jones in this one. I think that's the biggest thing for the Chiefs. Is that's that, not the biggest thing. They lost 38-20. It was not. Well, it's the, the reason, like, I'm worried the most about the Chiefs is that they are disastrous without him. And they're trying to sort of put lipstick on a pig by putting him at defensive end because their defensive ends suck and they have at least some competent defensive tackles. But he's gone from a 92.8 pass rushing grade last year to 72.7 this year because he's playing a different position. A different position. <laughs> not where he should play. He should be a three tech because that's where he's at his best because he has 200 or 310 pounds. This guy is not a fucking edge rusher and they're trying to make him an edge rusher because their edge rushers stink. And so you're kind of trying to f- solve two problems and creating another by not having any pass rush now whatsoever. And so only eight pressures on 30 dropbacks for Josh Allen, easily his lowest rate this season. We've talked about how the Chief, the Bills enter this game with the second lowest pass blocking grade of any team. Um, so the Chiefs defense, I am ready to push the panic button on. They are in big trouble. They, there's no... They, they don't have the horses walking that door. They're not talented enough to where, yeah, you say Daniel Sorensen, shit, he might be the most hated player on any team in America. He would be on the bench right now if they had better options. You know, yeah, like yeah. They don't have much better options there. They just are. Yeah, I think a lot of people I saw last night on Twitter, you know, calling out Steve Spagnuolo and like, what are you doing playing Dan Sorensen out there? It's like, they don't have any other good players. It's, it's like, this has been what they've done the last two years yeah. to like smoke and mirrors this okay defense that they've had. But it's always been... They haven't had the talent there on the back end. They've kind of gotten by around it. And I'd argue their skill group, you know, and we've always talked about how how top heavy it is, how top heavy this roster is. And when Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill don't have, you yeah, know, Tyreek Hill drops a pit and gives you a pick six. That's your. I mean, I do think when you are this top heavy of a roster, so you you can't have a lot of things go wrong. You yeah. need your guy. You need well, all you need of Chris your, Jones there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You can't have Chris Jones not play when that's your pass rush. So you can't have him out and expect to still win games. And I think that's why we're saying it's a dangerous game that you're playing because one of we're those not showing play. enough love to the Buffalo Bills. But the Bills, yeah, the that Bills throw, are sick. That throw from to Emmanuel Sanders from Josh Allen was whew, that might have been the best throw all weekend. That thing was had hair on it. Was absolutely a dime. Moved to his left. That thing was perfect. Um, I thought his throw too, even though throws. he was like wide open backpedaling in front of Darian Sorensen. That throw along the right sideline to Dawson Knox. Yeah. He made that look so easy. Yeah. He had the other, I mean, he was spectacular. This was that MVP caliber yeah. Josh Allen that we saw. And I thought they ran the football with him a ton and he took advantage of that. He obviously had the hurdle and this one that's being memed into oblivion. I thought Josh Allen looked phenomenal in this game against, admittedly, the worst defense in the NFL. But then again, yeah, it still comes back to Chiefs have real problems that I don't know how necessarily. All right. I said I was going to ask there, you. Is there, wait, before that, is there, who would you put as the most hated player in the NFL by a respective franchise? And is it Daniel Sorensen? Because the amount he was getting just torn apart was bad last night. I don't know if there is, right now at least. Right now, obviously, I think that yeah. is a, it's a week to week league with the most league. hated player. Yeah. I think you could put, you know, if Mason Crosby misses that kick, I think Crosby could have been up there. Yeah. Um, kickers usually get the brunt of that, um, not coaches for whatever reason. Urban Meyer's up there. I Urban think Meyer. Urban Meyer might yeah. be up there. Um, yeah, I think Sorensen right now, I think, takes the cake for the week. Um, before you answer the AFC question, who's the best team in the AFC? Okay. Colts, Ravens, preview it one last time, Monday Night Football. We're recording this, obviously, before Monday Night. Why do we always have to preview it one last time? I want to do it one last it. time. Um, the Colts have the lowest graded tackle duo in the NFL. That's my preview. 
and they're not gonna. You, you think Ravens still just, cover the seven? I think the Ravens still cover the, cover All right. the seven. I'm with you. I'm with you. Who who are the four best teams in the AFC? Uh, okay, four best teams. Uh, I think we saw two of them play yesterday against each other. I think the Browns and the Chargers are two of the four best teams in, in the AFC. <sighs> After that, I, I don't want. I don't. I'm not gonna put Tennessee in that. I don't think anyone in the South deserves to be in that conversation. I do think the Bills firmly deserve to be in that mix as one of the four best teams. And then the last one, the four best teams in the AFC. Oof, that one's tough. I'll probably, I think it's KC still. Yeah. It has to be. I, mean, I think my order, my order would be Bills, okay. Browns, Chargers, Chiefs. Okay. Chiefs at four. I still believe in the Browns at full strength. Yeah. That's the best. Over the Bills? Seen. Yeah. But then, Bills, Browns, Chargers, Chiefs is where I'm at. Uh, cool. I think the Chargers too. I mean, they, they're that's they have a lot of talented teams, yeah. a lot of talented teams in the AFC. On to our next segment here: the fun to read, fun to watch, uh, cake your pants, rookie of the week, all that fun stuff at the back end of the show, and then our tailgate score. Before we do so, it's football season, baby, and you know what that means. It means we're going for two here with sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join two million men, including Austin Gale, Mike Renner who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. It's three and out the window with your other trimmers. Now go tame that Wildcat offense. I don't know if I've ever felt better as a human being until I started using Manscaped's trimmer 4.0, the lawnmower 4.0. It's literally changed my life. It's changed how I approach breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It changed how I approach this podcast. The brand new lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their next, their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch, can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn on a 4,000 LED spotlight off and on when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15 yard penalty for this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out of the playoffs this year with Manscaped. If you're going into January with the pubes and you're hearing this read on October, making some mistakes, man. Bring the lawnmower 4.0 early. You know, I don't care how good it is. You got to bring it in early. Uh, fun to read. We've got two submissions here. First one from Josina Anderson. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. But still, fun to read. This one was a, a, just a, an experience. I, I think she has a pre-existing something with Geno Smith relationship of, because she's always been a Geno Smith backer. Mm -hmm. But this one got especially weird. So after, obviously, Russell Wilson gets hurt. Um, she tweets out, Geno Smith's NFL experience and present opportunity is a testament to his quiet perseverance. Despite early hard knocks, disproportionate support, bouncing around the league, and being relegated under a narrative, he's stayed positive and grateful waiting for the celestial nod. Dude, that was like a fucking Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> she went in deep. I didn't read that one. I don't know if that's as fun to read as it is just like, that's such a sweet tweet for Geno Smith. Exactly. <laughs> she is the that was so nice to the, say. The being relegated under a narrative part really gets me every Disproportionate time. Disproportionate support, quiet perseverance. She broke out Webster on this thing. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of this tweet. Yeah, actually. Like I the, think that's I I, I tweeted it myself. Like I think the next time someone I I've blindly supported my entire 
analyst career, I'm going to tweet out very something very similar. Jerry Tillery. You could just do something for Jerry Tillery when he like finally gets like a sack in the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> All what right, a celestial nod. The next one is from a Kansas City Chiefs super fan, which we have come to fall in love. We love super fans. With this the is NFL a super, super fan fandom. podcast. We need to get some on the show in the seats. Yes. The man who knocked. Okay, so this is. Go ahead, go ahead. This is KC X Factor, who is a Kansas City super fan. And apparently he got knocked out. If you go on Twitter, there's a video of him getting knocked out. Uh, yesterday Let at the game. So as, as if the Chiefs weren't down bad enough. You got super fans knocking out each other <laughs> during rain delays. So here he, he tweets out. Can you play safety? KCX Factor tweets this out. The man who knocked out me, a.k.a. X Factor, that's himself, is Red Extreme, who is right in front of me in photo. And there's a photo attached. That's absurd. Uh, super fan on super fan crime. And says, feud started 18 years ago when he slept with mother of my child behind my back. <laughs> He broke my hand, ankle, jaw, teeth, and four ribs in punching me at Arrowhead. Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs Kingdom. Hashtags. The hashtags is just not acceptable. <laughs> this is just not acceptable, X-Factor. Take your fucking X-Factor crown off for one second. Don't tweet this one, but if you are, you don't have to include hashtag Arrowhead. You don't. Hashtag Arrowhead was included in this? Dude, it's... The feud started when he slept with mother of my child behind my back? 18 years ago. And then he got knocked out yesterday at the game. It's a whole... This is the best tweet I've ever seen. <laughs> it's, like, it's very fun to read, I will say. He broke my hand, ankle, jaw, teeth, and four ribs. In one punch? I don't. I mean, that's all the video showed, and he was down bad. I, it didn't look like he could bro have broken all that, though, but who knows? That's what he tweeted. Dude, I don't think the Chiefs could get any lower. Yeah. This is the lowest of the low. When you got the, the super City fans Chiefs. brawling, you know it's bad. It was X Factor versus Red X Dream. Yeah. <laughs> this is legitimately like the plot of a Family Guy episode. <laughs> this is incredible. All right, I have to get to the next segment, but right. I, I'm literally crying. This is incredible. All right, fun to watch, watch, where we look for analysts calling players, teams, concepts, fun to watch. We already yeah, roasted we Sam, Sam for calling Jacoby Brissett, fun to watch. The next one is... This one was... Matthew Barry. Everyone and their mother was tweeting this yesterday. Was it really? I, I don't pay attention to the fun to watch ones. They, I they mean, slip under my radar. This guy's a, this guy's a first ballot. Oh, fun to watch this is it. This guy. Okay. Matthew Berry. Damn. Kadarius Tony is fun to watch. 552 likes. God damn it. It's because everyone knows. I know. Everyone knows. And then the other one I couldn't find. You brought it up to me the other day in the car as we were driving back from Kentucky. But you said, someone called Curb Street. Oh, yeah. Said, what is it again? Kirk Her I can't remember now. So Kirk Herbstreet said, I talked. To everyone oh, that's at right. Texas. I've talked to everyone at Texas, and everyone says Bijan Robinson's fun to watch. He said that on the broadcast. He said it on the broadcast. I talked to a lot yeah. of people in Texas, and everyone I've talked to said, man, this kid's fun to watch. <laughs> it's just the worst. It's just the worst. I don't understand uh, how this continues to be a thing. How does this fun. continue to be a take? It's fun. And if Herb Street tweeted that, it would have gotten 2,000 likes. Yeah. People be like, yeah, he is. I agree. <laughs> All right. Kick your pants moment of the weekend. Your take. Mine was not. So obviously being at that Packers game, mine was not when they actually won. That was more just relief. Mm -hmm. My pants kicked when they missed that last field, when they missed the 48-yarder that he thought he had made because I thought it was over at that point. 57-yarder, the first one for McPherson. I was like, that one's a stretch. Yeah. Like I said, 55%. You kicked this one, you earned that it. One's, yeah. The 48-yarder, though, was like, this one's going in. If this one doesn't go in, this is the craziest shit that's ever happened. Uh, and it didn't go in. So that's when I kicked my pants. But there was a bunch of cool highlights on the weekend. Some of the, the Kadarius Tony sideline catch, the uh, Mims sideline catch, Marvin Mims for yeah, yeah. Uh, Oklahoma. A uh, number of 
highlight plays that were pants cakers, but that was mine for the weekend. I mean, there was a lot of camp pick. <laughs> Pants, pants caking games i mean yes, we were watching was a great a ton of really good college football. football on saturday and even on sunday the, that browns chargers game yeah, it was sweet all right rookie of the week gotta go to the fun to watch hall of famer and it's Kadarius tony 10 catches 189 getting getting a knockout in getting a the swing on demonte casey tyson fury inspired. personally um and then some honorable mentions though because elijah tucker played exceptionally well and kyle pitts obviously breakout game for him so Blackout of the week. He's also, I think, the lowest-graded rookie offensive player. Jackson Carmen, guard for the Cincinnati Bengals. Six pressures allowed in this one. And it was six pressures against a Packers defensive interior that's, like, not good. And like, Dean Lowry was getting them. Kingsley Kiki getting them. And not, not those guys aren't awful, but it's not, like, six pressures against Kenny Clark. It's not like six pressures against Aaron Donald. It's, like, six pressures against your run-of-the-mill DT that mm-hmm. starts in the NFL, which is means you're giving up six pressures a lot this year if that's how it's going to go. So that one uh, affected a lot of Joe Burrow's throws. A lot of that pressure in his face was kind of the reason why the Packers' defense didn't look as bad as I thought they would going in that game. Last but not least, the tailgate score. We had the doubleheader this weekend, Friday, Cincinnati, your take on the tailgate scene. Okay, so the tailgate scene was the tamest of the tailgate scenes we've seen so far. Outside of Illinois. I still thought Illinois went a little bit harder than really? Cincinnati. And I that, think it's because so spread out, though. Yeah. Cincinnati's just like, there's no, there's like odd locations. So we were tailgating on like a lawn on campus. But then there's like frats that'll have tailgates, but there's nothing really close to each other. There's no like large grouping. Because all the basically lots that people are parking in are kind of high-rise parking lots there's no flat lots yeah that people can set up grills and shit there are people just go into like lawns and so for a friday night game i was expecting like an atmosphere it really wasn't but the bars at cincinnati are cool gotta give it that obviously that's the first time i've been to dive bar cincinnati themselves very good they had 11 dollar buckets of miller light which is insanity buckets um for tall boys also by the way so I didn't drink that many. I ended up going 75.0 for the Cincinnati tailgate. I would score. probably lean higher only because the story I got when I went to the porta potties and this guy was the completely tanked. Yeah. He looks at me, he's like, can barely see. And he's like, who are we playing? I was like, buddy, who are we playing? And he's like, then this chick's like, Temple. She has, she has a Sharpie in her hand. And he's like, oh. And he's like, she writes it on the dude's neck. Throat contusion season. Temple on his neck. And he's like, let's go. And I was like, I need to leave, but it was hilarious. It was a great story. I'm sure, he didn't regret that at all. <laughs> having Temple on his neck the rest of the night. Uh, the Kentucky tailgate scene you have here, and I'm going to agree with this grade: an 81.0 yeah. grade for the Kentucky tailgate scene. Everyone was getting up. I loved the energy of the tailgate. It was a little spread out. I thought the food spread though. We saw some people have some good food, and also um, it was a heavy student. Anytime yes. you have like heavy students at the tailgate, where everyone goes to the game, and I think. That goes without saying, because Lexington, I come to find out, is a just a loser city. Why wouldn't you go to the game? So I think I, I think that's a big reason why everyone was there. Tad rowdier, for sure. I, I don't think there were. I thought there would be more people tailgating. I thought it was kind of like tame. You'd see like large swaths of a lot right outside the stadium of people just not with tents set up, kind of just like chilling, ch- casually hanging out, just parked there to go into the game. Uh, the atmosphere was not. As buzzing as thought for an undefeated Kentucky team. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is an undefeated team that just went in and beat the doors off of LSU. And it was like, it was good, but like you can tell they are a basketball town first. That was probably like, this was not 
the tradition of their football program, not quite what their basketball program brings to the table. So I will say there's nothing to do in Lexington and Kentucky. So <laughs> that's that's a little bit of an overstatement, but there wasn't like an eminently walkable area right from the football stadium that you could go to and hang out, which is always like nice to We were to trying have to find a restaurant. To a, yeah, it was, it was kind of a mess after the game. So 81.0 is our official Kentucky score. We tried to go to a solid. restaurant at 11 o'clock on a Saturday and everywhere was closed. Yeah. That doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. That the city deserves to be burned to the ground, honestly. Or just that's a bar that's served food, but none of them. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And also, if you don't subscribe to PFF yet, use promo code TAILGATE for 25% off any PFF subscription. Big shout-out to the producers, Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, Max Chadwick, Stone Rochelle. They all help us put this show together. And also, Asagale, Mike Renner, Tailgate. Tailgate.